Before we begin, please know that this podcast is intended for mature audiences. I am not a therapist or a doctor. Guests interviewed on this show express opinions that are their own, and nothing they say should take the place of a relationship with a medical or mental health professional. Please take care. Hello, and welcome to Resting Scared. My name is Mary, and this is the podcast where I talk about health challenges and health anxiety and mental health. Um, but you know that. You've been here before. And if you haven't, um, hello and welcome. <laughs> what if I just did the whole intro over again? Um, so today is a very special episode because... I am interviewing, I'm going to share an interview with one of my favorite people in the whole world, Peter Johnson. Peter and I have been best friends for a long time, over a decade. I mean, you'll hear us talk about it a little bit. Um, But yeah, he's someone who I love and respect, and it was so great to be able to talk to him about basically how to OCD a little bit or how to anxiety um, in a general sense and also specifically about health anxiety. Um, Anyway, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't want to spoil it. No spoilers. Um, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Mary. How's it going? Oh, I'm fine. Good. Um, Okay, so I just said your name, but thanks so much for being here. And why don't you introduce yourself to the people? Hi, I'm Peter. I'm uh, Peter Johnson. I'm a therapist. Uh, Me and Mary have been friends uh, since college. I guess, what is it, like 12 years? I think 12. I think it was 2011 that I that we got to Wells. That so. sounds like 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got a we got an even dozen. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. So you're a therapist. Yeah. What mm-hmm. What kind of therapy do you do? Um. Well, you know, I I do. Uh, my wife and I run a telehealth clinic, uh, so I see clients uh, strictly um, over the computer and, you know, kind of treat a, a whole range of uh, you know, disorders, although, you know, I don't really like using that language always. Um, but people with a lot of different kinds of problems and issues. Um, mostly, I'd say, if I had... You know, as far as I have a focus, as far as I have a niche, uh, I do a lot of trauma work, um, but everything. Um, why don't you like disorders? Like, why don't you like using that term? Oh, you know, I, I, I the sort of disease perspective, this medical perspective on it isn't always helpful for people. You right. know, if you're, if you... Yeah, there's still a lot of stigma and mental health stuff, and if you're not someone totally familiar, comfortable with it, and you're coming to talk to someone because you're having some specific issue, it doesn't always feel good <clears throat> to be called disordered, right? right? 
Um, so it, it depends. It's not a big deal. But if I, when I describe my practice and my therapy, I don't necessarily like to say I treat disorders because that's not really the case always e either. Anyway, yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of it is, you know, you're treating symptoms and you're talking to people, you know? Yeah. Have you heard the, um, term that I feel like is came from like TikTok or something of like spicy personality, spiky personality profile? Nope. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't I'm not know. on TikTok, Mary. I don't know. I don't know if it came from TikTok or if it came from like Instagram or something. Anyway. Um, I love, I love hearing about therapy stuff coming from TikTok though. <laughs> it's my favorite thing when my clients bring it up. Yeah. Well, TikTok diagnosed me is like a huge thing. Sure, like sure. People say all the time. I'm sure Mary can, can hear it, but for those of you who don't know me as well, I am being very sarcastic. <laughs> I hate TikTok. I love TikTok, but... Well, anyway. I love it in, in that, like, endless dopamine, right. like, push-button kind of way. Sure. <laughs> I, I have my own versions of that. Right, right. Um... So, as you know, um, on this podcast, I talk a lot about, um, health conditions, but also like chronic health issues, but also health anxiety. And I talk about my own relationship with like anxiety and health anxiety and the OCD stuff that has kind of come out of it, I think is how it, I think that's how my like obsessive compulsive stuff manifests the hardest is when it comes to health stuff. Um, so it's just always something that I'm trying, that I'm thinking about because, uh, even on t even on days or whatever where I think I don't have a lot to say about it, I always do. Um, so I guess uh, I have two questions to start out with, and that would be, um, what is your relationship to health anxiety? What's my, I mean, what's my relationship with it? I, I mean, I have experienced health anxiety. Health anxiety is, has been a part of my life, certainly, as it has for, for a lot of people. Uh, r right now we're not really talking, I guess. Um, but you know, there, I, I've been through it. I know what it's like. Uh, there was a period where I, I thought I was ill and, uh, that the anxiety of that, um, uh, kind of kept me from, from seeing a doctor and checking it out for a while. Um, but of course I eventually did and, and then felt much better about it. So, you know, at this, like, where I am, for me, like, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of sick and dying people in my life as well. And that, that makes it weird, too. And, yeah. and it does come up for me. But I, I feel like it's something that I have worked through and have tools for, personally. Yeah. And, and I try to, try to help my clients find those same tools when I'm dealing with health anxiety, which is a uh, sometimes thing. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, do you, I don't know if you feel like you see a lot of clients with health anxiety or if they, if you see more of them than you think you would have before. Well, yeah, there was this thing that happened yeah. called COVID, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, certainly, like, uh, I, I felt like there was a spike in it or maybe a sustained increase uh, since COVID, definitely. Um, I think that generally, when I am treating someone, someone's anxiety, right, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, that, that, that anxiety tends to shapeshift. And, and a really difficult kind of version of it is health anxiety because 
the stakes are very high and yeah. it has this kind of uh, uh, deep well of, of emotional resource to draw on and um, uh, you know a lot of uncertainty because we are not doctors we cannot see inside of our own bodies we can't look under the bed and make sure there's not a monster there Thank God you know. we can't see inside of our own bodies because that I would never leave my room if there was a thing. That's a Gross. weird thing to say. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> but I just mean if there was like a portal or something, like something I could like strap to like my arm and I could see inside my arm. I really feel like I would never leave the house. What, what's there to see in your arm? It's just like I don't know. a I'm couple sure... bones and some muscle. I'm sure there's something worth looking at. Um, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So, um, no, it, it comes up. And I guess, you know, I, I have dealt with it really sort of specifically as a primary issue, maybe once. Yeah. Um, maybe twice. It, and it's come up for other, other clients who have uh, OCD, uh, anxiety disorders of different kind, just at, at different points, you yeah. know. Um, and yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, um, so you mentioned that like for you, when you kind of like did eventually like see a doctor and you felt better about the situation, um, that, 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 that like helped you and that made you feel better. Sure. But I feel like for a lot of people with like, uh, anxiety issues or like obsessive compulsive issues that like, for some reason, like, I think that's the thing that makes it so like, like a dog chasing its tail is that like you even if you find out like you get the okay that only scratches that itch for some length of time sure sure because our bodies keep changing right and, and even mm. the doctors don't know sometimes all kinds right. of ways to rationalize it right right uh -huh. no exactly but the anxiety is gonna look for ways to to justify itself you know to rationalize it make you make you feel how it wants you to feel and do what it wants you to do that's, yeah. that's the way these things work. And I am, you know, I'm totally speaking metaphorically here. I'm not uh, from kind of this narrative perspective. It's not that anxiety is literally like whispering in your ear, like worm tongue or Jafar, but you know, kind of in a way, Yeah. these emotions, like they provoke reactions in us, emotional responses that, that create thoughts and ideas that, that come from the emotion and feed back into the emotion. Yeah. Um, especially, like, importantly, like, action urges, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. I, I got lost hearing my own voice. No, what it's was okay. the question? Uh, I wouldn't really ask a question. I was okay. just talking about, um, I, I was basically just talking about how, like, you know, there, there's a, there's a, a situation with health anxiety where you seek a reassurance and you get the reassurance and you feel better about it and then there's like another situation where you seek the reassurance and you get it quote unquote and then you that feels better for like an hour and then you're just like right sure. back into that like sure. spiral either about that thing or about right. something else or whatever and like right. I guess the question would be like what is the recommended what would you recommend like the course of action to be because right. I feel for somebody who has those tendencies because I feel like people often say like oh don't seek reassurance with OCD or with anxiety just get comfortable in the uncertainty but like recommending people don't go to the doctor isn't it either you know sure 
Absolutely. So, uh, you know, let's, let's kind of define what we're talking about a little bit too. And, and when I, when I talk to clients about anxiety and my language might change a little bit if I was specifically dealing with OCD, but OCD is just, uh, like, you know, acute anxiety disorder really. Mm -hmm. And, and works in a lot of the same ways. It's just, just, you know, quirky. Um, so the cycle of anxiety is something uh, scares us. Something makes us feel uncomfortable and bad. That, uh, that sympathetic nervous system goes off about something. And then in whatever way we choose to do it, we, we pull back. We avoid um, that, that trigger, that triggering response, right? Um, and this can be like, oh, I'm not going to think about that, or I'm going to go distract myself with something else, or I'm going to go do something that makes me feel better. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where reassurance comes in also. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the issue is we're finding these things that, that make us feel better short term, but the problem doesn't go away. And the emotional weight of that problem continues to build because it's still there in the back of your mind and at the front of it when it comes to the front of it. And often it's it's more intense because now you've been dealing with it for however long. And hey, you know, that anxiety might say, hey, you know, things can get worse if you leave them, right? Right. So no, of course not. If someone thinks they're sick, go to the doctor for fuck's sake. But like, let's pay attention to to what's actually going on inside of us. And this this is like one of the most important things that I stress in therapy, almost regardless of who I'm talking to and about what, is about bringing our unconscious like processes to, to the front of our head, like, making the unconscious conscious so that we can actually like assess our behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Because then if we're talking about, like, like, what is reassurance? Is going to the doctor reassurance? Or is going to the doctor actually, you know, facing the problem? Which, which you know, tends mm -hmm. to actually reduce the anxiety and, and make it better, right? So then, like, there's a concept I like from uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. Um, I don't you know, use any one modality as, like, gospel, but I like to draw from a lot of them, and, and one thing that I like in DBT, especially when I'm talking about, like, anxiety, I guess, is uh, this axis of uh, acceptance and change, mm -hmm. right? Like, if we are going to uh, make a decision about you know, whatever that those internal processes are. Hopefully we're doing that, like, data gathering through mindfulness and, and actually figuring out, like, oh, I'm responding to this in this way and it makes me want to do this thing, mm -hmm. right? Then, like, if, for instance, like you said, we go to the doctor and then that, that thing is still needling us, right? Mm -hmm. Then we need to try continue to try to re work really hard on acceptance yeah and i that can be a bitter pill for people to yeah. swallow because it's like how you know yeah how right? well like all of these things it's a it's a skill and a muscle to be built up right and the problem is that that people might not be in the place like in their life and their emotions to to 
effectively be able to build up that skill. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, that's the thing that makes it harder. Yeah. Um, and it definitely is a skill and I, and I feel like it's a, uh, like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a range too of like, sure. of like getting, getting better at that and like also hitting your limits with it. Um, like, okay. I was actually talking to you a little bit about this before we started recording, but I'm going to go back to it. And I've talked about this thing on this podcast before, like a specific ailment. Um, but so this is a thing that's very relevant to what's happening literally in like the last like 12 hours of my life. Like this, this thing on my arm that I've been worried about in the past that I've had checked out by a doctor, but it doesn't, it doesn't normally hurt. It doesn't normally feel like anything. It's just like a, well, I went to the doctor and they said that it was just like a cyst, you know, they, they looked at it, they messed with it. They did all this stuff. They said if it changes or anything to call us or come back or whatever. So yesterday it started hurting really bad. And so this has been like months that I've had this thing now. I would say like less than six months that I've had it and it started hurting really bad and I'm immediately freaking out and I can tell that I, I can feel myself going down the rabbit hole like it's almost like I'm watching it from like a bird's eye view like I can see myself going down the rabbit hole and it's also like an it's hard to talk to other people about it like your partner about it or something like that because they know that you like also lose your damn mind with this type of stuff too so um anyway I felt this is like kind of an example I think of me like getting better but also like having my limits with how better I'm willing to get about this is like which is honestly kind of a wild thing to say but like yeah, sorry, making, therapist making note of that one yeah that's what I'm <laughs> that's that was just right right off the tip of my tongue there um but uh like I want to get that checked out and so I kept going I went on the stupid app for my insurance yesterday and I was making an appointment and the soonest I could get an appointment was like Wednesday and I was like that's just unacceptable like I can't wait until Wednesday like absolutely not um and so I said you know this was like at like midnight that I was trying to make this appointment and then I said to myself like I uh I'll call in the morning, like, I'm going to try this app again, maybe somebody will have canceled an appointment, whatever, and then in the morning I'm going to call, because they're usually able, I know, based on prior experience, that they're usually able to find you a sooner appointment if you call. So then I woke up this morning, and I was like, Wednesday is, like, three days away, two days away, like, you can just wait, like, you just can wait. So I did it and I made the appointment and I didn't call and I like saved myself time and I felt like I would like accomplish something. Sure. But like, I'm not going to not go this week. (laughs) You know? Sure. Like. Well, like, you know, first of all, Mary, you you went to the doctor and they said, if there was change in this thing, then come let us know. Right. So that's what you're doing. Right. Right. So that's not unreasonable. So part of this, you know, and, and the, the, like, what's hard about the acceptance? What's hard about any of this, right? Like, thinking reasonably about these, these subjects is that, like, we get flooded with this emotion that makes it hard for us to think rationally, to think reasonably. When, when that sympathetic nervous system goes off, when the, our emotions go off, when that hindbrain goes off, our... The, the smart part goes dark, you know, and, yeah. and, and that makes it really difficult. So it's like, 
we have to get to the point where we can give ourselves back more control. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have to work with whatever buttons and levers in our head we actually have like available to us. Mm-hmm. And and for that, you know, it starts with can I take a step back from my experience? And this is kind of how I describe mindfulness. Can I can I separate out myself from the experience of myself? Mm-hmm. Just take a step back from it. Um, and in from that like observer's perspective, just figure out what you need in the now. You know, right? Like if if we are flooded, if we're experiencing really high anxiety or other emotions, mm-hmm. you know. Th- that information, knowing this going in, it's like, okay, I know that this is going to be a difficult time for me to actually rationalize things or do like risk assessment or make myself feel better in any kind of way like that. Like, I'm just not going to accept the evidence I get. So, Mm -hmm. so can we start by just sort of treating the symptoms can right. we bring our, our body and our mind down a little bit closer to baseline so that we can do the rest of the work, right? Yeah. So what do you what what do you do when you're in that like very high, high, high Yeah, absolutely anxiety moment and you need to kind of do like a, sure. a SOS situation for yourself? Well, you know, if I was doing this with a client, it would be at least like a month's work but but condensing it like first is this moment of stepping back from yourself a mindful moment of of trying to get sort of an accurate assessment of what the situation is and what you should do about it and and just getting there is hard right like mm-hmm. first you, you got to teach people to stop <laughs> whatever you're doing whatever you're thinking whatever you're in the mid- middle of you have to stop doing that mm-hmm. you have to then tell your body what to do a little bit you have to you have to control your breath you have to relax your muscles you have to try to reduce your heart rate right yeah and like the point of this again is like what where are the controls that we actually have access to and and when if we're panicked we can't we don't have all of them so so getting there involves the body first a Mm -hmm. lot of times maybe if we're good at acceptance or, or we're good at distress tolerance, which is a whole other part of this that's very important, we can, we can get through that a little more easily. We can process the, you know, the chemicals that are going through us and, and allow that to, to work through us faster. Um, for a lot of people, this takes a lot of practice, though. Yeah. And then, then like, not until after we can actually bring ourselves down with whatever skills like I teach I like breathing and and muscle control because it's really easy and it's really accessible but shit like you know if you want to take a shower if if you want to go eat something um, these are excellent things to do as well the point is don't fucking worry about what you're thinking or solving problems until you're out of that state 
It's like, you know, you ever see that lawyer commercial where they're saying, like, shut the fuck up, don't talk to the police, right? Well, this is don't talk to the police. Yeah. If you know that you're coming from this place of, like, way past your window of tolerance anxiety, then that's not a place to problem solve. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow, that's a really... um interesting like metaphor for it the don't talk to the police thing um because i do feel like that is that is so uh that is exactly what i end up trying to do a lot and i think a lot of people do this too you when you're in that like heightened state you're like the only thing to do is problem solve right now that is when it's like not only are you not going to probably make your best decisions or whatever but you're also just you're just not bringing yourself back down you I right. feel like the problem solving mode can also just spiral out of control whatever thoughts you are having whatever problem solving you are attempting to do it is going to run through the lens the filter of the emotional state you're in right now and and usually when it does that it's transformed into some version of itself that enhances the anxiety right yeah all right. Well, you heard it here, folks. Don't talk to the police. Don't talk to the police. Uh, you know, calm down. Make yourself feel better in whatever ways are accessible to you. Take as much time as you need to take. Um, and then when we have a little bit more control, we can do other things, mm-hmm. right? We can actually ask ourselves, like, what is reasonable about uh, uh, what? What is a reasonable assessment of this situation and course right. of action, right? We can start to do risk assessment. We can ask ourselves, you know, is this thing that I'm worried about like actually that big and scary, or actually that likely to happen? Uh, if this thing that I'm worried about is true then how bad would that be? And I think with, with health anxiety specifically, one of the things that makes it difficult is that that, that question of risk assessment, right? Right. Is that if it's bad, it could be bad. Right. right. And like, and but, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, but just to, just to finish that thought, but even then, if we are actually thinking reasonably about it, if you have some kind of health concern and you go to the doctor about it, chances are it's going to be okay. And if it isn't, you don't fucking have control over that either. Right. And that's the other thing, too. That's the other thing I'm trying to remember, too, is that, like, like what, even if it's something's not, like, super okay, at the end of the day, I don't want to, like, spend my life letting the anxiety of the thing like control me like because and that's the other thing about health anxiety too is that in some ways it is like an inevitable thing like that you have to face you know Um, we're all gonna get scared about our health at one point or another we all get anxiety we all get worried yes right so it's just kind of like this thing of like wanting to wanting to have control over it now while i am i don't know i don't know I'm going to drop that thought. But basically, like... Well, well, okay. I mean, I mean, I think it's important what you're bringing up, though, in terms of control. Yeah. You know? And, and you mentioned, at least, you know, and first of all, like, excuse me for cursing a bunch. No, my, it's okay. my son, like, woke me up at 5.30 this morning, and I didn't prepare for this at all. So you've got kind of raw, unfiltered... It's, it's awesome. Um, We'll hit the explicit button and it'll be fine. Great. Awesome. Um, 
also like saying four bars of sweet dreams are made of these so you get demonetized oh, no. or whatever <laughs> so what was i talking about control you know you wanted to talk a little bit about ocd and and ocd is about that feeling of control over our anxieties mm-hmm. and and when i talk about acceptance and and change right i'm talking about control what are the things that we actually truly have control or influence over in terms of whatever i'm scared of mm-hmm. um and what things are simply outside of my control and and for those things we have to continue to work on acceptance and when i say work on acceptance i mean in the moment over and over again we take that breath and we say okay this is okay for now Mm -hmm. you know and and that will last you as long as it lasts you before that emotional comeback and then you can do it again yeah and and continuing to do that is what's going to to build up that muscle now now what's the difference between that and avoidance right Right. Yeah. Well, well, the difference is we've already assessed our situation and what we actually have control over. Mm-hmm. And those things that we have control over and we feel like are reasonable to do, like, we're going to do those too. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, like, you probably don't have to worry about the fact that you might just not get something, you know checked out or deal or deal with it in some sort of way if you are somebody who's like really trying what you're what you're working on is being less uh like what's the word being less on top of everything all the time less what's the what's that term uh sure like uh, hyper vigilant yeah sure. like if you're working on being like less hyper vigilant you're probably not going to go from super hyper vigilant to like uh, just totally chill and relax. Right. Yeah. Like, well, totally. And that's that's where we get back to part of the, part of the acceptance is accepting how I feel right now. Right. right like, right. and this is what we call distress tolerance. Mm-hmm. Right. How how well, how long can I put up with how I'm feeling? Right. Sit with the emotion. Allow right. the emotion to happen. What's my capacity for that? And and we we have a lot more control over how, you know, air quotes, good or bad we are over that than mm-hmm. we think sometimes. All of these things are skills and muscles that can be built. Or, which, you know, might totally be compromised by other things. Like, whatever vulnerabilities you have going on in that specific day or moment. Right. So part of that that taking stock, part of that mindful moment is is knowing like, oh, by the way, we're hungry, we're tired, right. we got in an argument, whatever. Right. 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 You know? So so yeah, like OCD um, or like reassurance seeking and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's about feeling like we're we're doing something about the situation, right? Yeah problem is we're not we're not we're not doing anything meaningful about the situation if you know if we have ocd and and you know for instance a a common compulsion is i'm gonna i'm gonna check the locks right i have to check the locks 10 times and then i know that i'll be safe and and no one can get get in right and and 
without getting into how OCD develops and how mm-hmm. this sort of magical thinking take takes hold, you know, it's the same way we do everything. The more you right. do it, the, the more strongly we believe it, whatever. Um, that doesn't actually address the problem in any way. You already lock the door. Right. Checking it ten times doesn't help. Isn't going to make it more locked. If you are worried, like, oh, is this, you know, <laughs> you know, pointing at a mole on your shoulder, or whatever, like, oh, God, is this cancer, right? And you want to hear your partner say, no, it's okay, baby, you know? That's also not doing anything about it in yeah. any meaningful way. Yeah, I don't even know if that's what I would want anyway, but more sure. like, but yeah, but yeah. Um, well, I think we already established a moment ago, right? You said you, you want to do this, right? Right. Yeah. Like I, you're super hyped to be anxious. I'm no, that's not it. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't want to be anxious, but I do. Thinking more on that, like you know, only being like willing to get so much, quote unquote, like better or whatever, like with this, is like I do believe wholeheartedly that like and this is where it gets really tricky that like I have helped myself like I want to use the term saved myself but I don't mean like saved my own life like I don't mean quite that dramatically but I do believe that like my hypervigilance has paid off many times not maybe not many times but it has paid off and like I don't... Spoken as a woman in America also, sure. Yeah. And just, like, I feel like I don't want to become so chill that I, like, lose that thing that has kept me safe. Okay. Um, So let's look at that belief, first of all. You know, (laughs) I'm not here to therapize you, obviously. That would be deeply unethical. But... Like, you know, talking about that, like, okay, do we think that that's uh, uh, reasonably sort of gray as the world is? Or does that have some trappings of all or nothing thinking? Right. right? If I if I learn to relax a little bit with, with some of the things that I'm always worried about, does that mean that I'm going to become this shapeless you know, blissed out blob that that's unaware of anything? No. Probably you not. know, it doesn't mean that. And realistically, you know, uh, walking down that path of, of healing, uh, of, of addressing these symptoms, it, it's, you know, it's a long and, and non-linear journey, right? <sighs> you, your yeah. anxiety will always be with all of us. So, and then there's another side of it, right? Which is this idea of, like, we learned this somewhere. And and we learned this lesson somewhere. And we internalized this lesson somewhere. Because at some point, something, this tool was useful to us. Mm -hmm. This tool was helpful for us in whatever situation. Maybe it protect us. Maybe it got us what we need. I guess it got us what we need in some way, whether that thing we needed was safety or whatever else, right? Mm -hmm. And and I'm speaking very broadly here because this is another broad theme that comes up. Um, Hammer. You know, what's the expression? To a hammer, everything is a nail, right? If we Mm -hmm. approach every situation by pulling out the same default tool, it's it's not going to be helpful for us anymore, 
right? We, we, need, we need to be able to see the situation for what it is and be able to ask ourselves, what tool do I need here? Mm-hmm. And, and this requires that we know what our default responses to things are. That if something triggering, for instance, happens, that, that we take that moment to stop and say, hey, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. This is what my immediate urge is. Right. You know, this is the old standard, right? And do I actually think that's going to be helpful here or right. not? You know? Right. Yeah. And I think also, like, being able to, like, being able to stop and look at what you're doing and, like, really, like, take a beat, too. Like, sometimes I think that, like, if I can delay the gratification, I can kind of get past it. Oh, yeah. Like, totally. Like, oh, I really want to Google, like, what happens when a random cyst gets painful, becomes painful. I really want to Google what that is. And I, I go to reach for my phone and I'm like, okay, let me do that five minutes or whatever like that has gotten me pretty far sometimes but then I get this thing where in the back of my head I know I've already decided that I'm allowing myself to go down a rabbit hole Uh and it's not even like a fully conscious thought I just look back on it later and I'm like I knew that I was gonna let myself do that um but anyway I do think delayed like delayed that's a, you know, if I was working with someone with OCD or other compulsive behaviors, that's a strategy that I would use. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because it's helping us. I mean, it, it's like an addiction, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like, there's strong data that shows, you know, if we even just delay the, that, that gratification, whether we're talking about a cigarette or we're talking about reassurance or mm-hmm. whatever, we're weakening the reward of that, that experience, right? Because when that experience is most rewarding is when we are experiencing that uh, distress uh, mm-hmm. most intensely. So if we can, you know, with addiction specifically, you know, you experience the distress from a craving mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to build and build and build. And then at some point it's going to plateau and start right. to go away. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and if it's actually, you know, this is a specific tool that we use called um, uh, wave surfing. Right. Oh. And it, it, like it's a great distress tolerance exercise of if I feel an urge, right, an urge that I want to to um, sort of weaken that pathway in my brain of, mm-hmm. of action urge. Right. Um, can I sit with it? Pay attention to it. Watch it as it grows and grows and eventually plateaus mm-hmm. um, and uh, starts to starts to move away. And, and a great way to do this, just as an example, by the way, is and I love doing this to clients. It works nine out of ten times. Is imagine you have an itch somewhere. Mm. Usually, when you say that, you know, someone's like, yeah. "Well, now I'm thinking about it, right?" Yeah, yeah, and and. Don't scratch it. And right. Pay attention to it and watch how how intense the urge to scratch that itch gets, and eventually even that starts to fade away. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, you know, inserting time into anything because again, we don't want to talk to the cops when when we're in the middle of our anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, time helps with that anyway, mm-hmm. and and we want to make 
those these unconscious parts conscious you know mm-hmm. so that we can decide more you know use our whole self to decide things not just our emotional state because our yeah. emotional state is a, is a bullshit leader you know it's great for stuff it gives us information like you said you know it's a tool that has been useful in your life this this emotional response but it's it's no good steering the ship yeah being in the front seat the whole time yeah yeah um so you mentioned different like modalities of therapy um what do you feel is a oh i guess i'm just gonna say how do you feel about exposure therapy Okay, yeah, uh, exposure therapy is more or less the way uh, to treat um, uh, OCD, right. especially, and has a lot of, you know, usefulness in anxiety disorders in general, like, depending on how uh, sort of strictly adherent you are to any particular program like ERP or you're just using its principles generally you know some exposure is going to be necessary in treating anxiety anyway yeah. like any kind uh, and ERP is um, exposure uh, response something Ah, oh, fuck. Like I said, 5.30 this morning. I'm losing the acronym right now. I think it's emergency. No, not emergency. No, I, <laughs> ex- 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 exposure response preparation. Hi, it's me, Just Mary. I'm just popping in in the middle of this interview um which i'm loving i hope you're loving it too because uh well let me just be real we had to take a pee break and get more tea have a sip of water and yeah that's what you're missing right here in this little segment but i thought i would go ahead and take this opportunity to ask you if you've checked in with yourself today have you checked in with your body Have you taken a deep breath? Have you stretched? If you haven't, you should go ahead and do that now. Okay. Back to Peter. emergency response prevention and that's what it is according to google no exposure and response why do i keep saying emergency yeah. that's what i meant I meant exposure sure uh, well i i yeah it's been a while since i was trained on erp um or quizzed on it so. or quizzed on it yeah. and like i said um a little less sleep than usual so excuse me but like yeah so ERP is a modality for treating OCD, um, especially. And, and the idea is, uh, we're going to use exposure therapy. So, Mm -hmm. excuse me, uh, expose you to whatever your, um, uh, your obsession is, your, the, the thing that elicits this anxiety in you, Mm -hmm. the thing or situation. And you're not going to do the compulsion. Right. You're not going to do the things that you have ritualized 
to uh, make it okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is very simplified. During a course of therapy, there would be a lot of, of skill building, of distress tolerance work uh, to, to get a person ready to do this. And the exposure itself might be sort of hierarchical. Right, right. Um, where we would start with something that's e- easier for you to handle, move to something more difficult, right? Yeah, and and like this is really helpful, really helpful for people with OCD. It's, it's uh, I believe, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not super caught up on my my trainings. Actually, that's what next month is for. But uh, as as far as I'm aware, it's it's pretty much the the treatment for OCD. Right. The problem with it though is that it doesn't really. It's harder to treat the um, like mental compulsions, like physical. And this is what I've found with other therapists too, like that I've worked with, is that they're very much into like treating the whole like oh you want to check your lock 20 times a day we're going to work on not checking your lock 20 times a day whereas like and less of like having a like reoccurring intrusive scary thought anyway i just bring that okay but but intrusive scary thoughts are not the same thing as compulsions right but the right. so like the obsession is uh-huh. like the right. the obs- uh, the scary thought, sure. and then the compulsion is like to like satisfy that somehow, yeah, to like make yeah. you feel better about that somehow. Well, and and when I'm talking about like where what our level of control is, like where we actually have control in our in ourself in any given moment, like it, intrusive thoughts and ideas and automatic things that that pop into our head we don't have control over that not not in the short term at least we can we can move that dial but that takes work that takes Mm -hmm. sustained effort right so so no that's not the kind of thing i mean for that that is is i mean likely uh, right a part if we're talking ocd a part of the obsession is a part of the distress around uh, the obsession mm-hmm. you know and for that like we need to continue to use um whatever skills we have available to us right so using our somatic yeah. coping right like telling our body to calm down uh and if we have more control than that then we can actually do a little bit of cognitive work mm-hmm. we can tell that thought <laughs> to calm down right. and, and remind ourselves that that's not reasonable mm-hmm. uh cognitive work is always a part of this stuff i think people who say like cognitive therapy is a, a crock are are dumb uh go on the record saying that they're yeah. dumb no not really you're all brilliant i i, I love networking um <laughs> But, like, you know, the problem is that we don't always have access to those cognitive skills, right? right? If if we are very distressed, right. it, it can be counterproductive because of that, you know, what we talked about before. But if you have avail- that available to you, you do that, you know? And right. Yeah. I forgot where I was going, so no, after okay. I insulted other members of my profession. No, it's okay. I, I, listen... 
saying that cognitive behavioral therapy doesn't work is stupid. I'll, well, sure. I'll go on the record. Yeah, and and like you know, I say this as someone who gets annoyed at you know also gets annoyed at the people who are are all raw raw CBT. Right. Uh, things there's there's a lot of fads in therapy, right. and CBT was one of yesteryears. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it goes into part of my philosophy on this stuff, which is, you know, I like to work in the cognitive, uh, but, but not necessarily, like, strictly use their model. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not being all or nothing with, and, like, tailoring it to what the client or person is actually dealing with. Sure. Right? And, and, yeah. like, my approach, and, you know, even, I'm, I'm, I don't know, maybe even for legal reasons, I need to say that I'm not using, like, ERP-TM or, like, DBT-TM. Um, although, at one point, I did. Um, I, even in those situations, like, I think that there's a lot of benefit from bringing in other perspectives, other uh, other skills and, and ideas from other modalities. Yeah. Uh, this is just me getting into, like, my process a little bit. But, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Go ahead. So, exposure, right? That... Those intrusive thoughts or intrusive feelings, those sudden emotions or ideas, those are exactly examples of manifestations of the distress that we're learning to sit with mm-hmm. or and learning to deal with uh, through like internal intrinsic skills like like acceptance like radical acceptance mm-hmm. to use another dbt term um like somatic coping like uh cognitive restructuring even right um we need to be working on that so that we have greater control over the compulsion right you know yeah um and like every like with everything it is a skill like it's a learned skill like as you've said that like takes time and stuff takes time to get comfortable using it um and and even skill is like honestly a closer metaphor would be like with the way our brains work i always imagine just walking paths through a park right and whatever path you choose that that path gets worn down becomes easier to walk uh, p- path of least resistance people walk it over and over and over again because it's one that's familiar mm-hmm. the more familiar something is the easier it is right we're forming these synapses these these neural connections so after i've done like you know i get anxious so i seek reassurance for the fifth millionth time in my life that's a very very easy pathway to go down whereas i'm going to resist it and try to do something else is you know that is a very weedy path right right but the point is if we can consciously force ourselves onto that path and do that with consistency mm-hmm. do that over and over again like that starts to get easy and that other path the one that we already wore down because our brains are plastic and are always changing and if we we don't use it then we lose it right mm-hmm. that starts to become less automatic and, mm-hmm. and less easy right 
because, you know, I say this is a better metaphor than skill because this is literally what our brains are doing. Right. It's forming these connections right. and these pathways. Right. You know? It's happening. So behavioral reinforcement, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of what this is about, right? If we have a trigger and every time that trigger comes up, we deal with it by pressing the red button, then that's, you know, that's how we're going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that red button makes other parts of your life hard. So we need to 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 get some negative reinforcement there. We need to deal with the trigger without pressing that red button. Yeah. We need to find other things to do, you know? Yeah. And I think too, it's also, you know, it's important to go back to, especially when these things sound really, really hard to do. Um, I always like have to remind myself that like the, I don't have to do any of this. Like, and I can go on like exactly as I am. Um, there's nothing stopping me from doing that, but it's all the whole point of this, of therapy, of, of learning these different, different ways to work with your brain is, is to address something that is, you know, hindering your quality of life. Um, so I don't know. I always just like to like, kind of go back to that because sometimes I think it can sound, it can sound really overwhelming. Like the amount of like, I mean, for lack of a better term, like skills to learn, um, to like get over chronic anxiety stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just something to improve your life. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, many people even maybe unaware of this have many of these skills already. And getting over anything takes time. If if somebody has a a lifelong problem with, you know, any chronic illness, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't expect that to, to be easily swept away. Right. It, right. it takes time, it takes effort, it takes treatment. Um, and besides that, if we're talking about emotions and emotional issues, yeah, it's, the goal is never, you know, I'm not going to get anxious about my health, like we said right. earlier. That's right. not realistic. But the goal can be, like, you know, I want to stop letting my health concerns give me panic attacks. Right. And that's that's a goal we could work on. That's right. not you and I again, obviously. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Disclaimer again, this isn't a therapy session. But <laughs> like that's that's something you can do. And and that's something right. that you can improve your life with. And and besides that, the point like not just the point of therapy, but it's it's a big thing in life that, that we are reflective and we are we are trying to 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 do better where we can, right? Where we are able, yeah. You know, and and, and to to take another thing from from DBT and, and another dialectic is, you know, I can accept where I am right now, and I can accept that I need to change, right? Right? Yeah. And and that's that's really important for any starting point, like so you have health anxiety or OCD or whatever you're gonna you know you're gonna cry about it (laughs) you're gonna beat yourself up about it again not things I'd say word for word to clients I am very compassionate and empathetic (laughs) for this stuff I promise but like you are one of the most compassionate people I know I don't think anybody thinks you're callous well sure they don't know me Mary but (laughs) like 
you need to accept your starting point, right? You need to, at, on some level, you need to say, this is where I am right now. And I can't deny or change or fight that reality. Right. And that idea of acceptance, you know, that moves on to so many other parts of it. I, I need to accept that I have these triggers, that I have these responses, and, and that ultimately these are things that I can deal with and I can change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so just to kind of start, I think, like, winding it down and kind of coming to um, a little bit of a point here. Like, do you do you feel that not coming to a point, but whatever. Do you um, do you find that you're able to uh, like em- employ like a lot of these things to yourself because you've been working on them? Like, are you able to kind of talk yourself down from anxiety and health anxiety stuff through using, you know, checking in with yourself and all of this stuff? Basically, does it work? Sure. Um, short answer, yes. Uh, although, yeah. like, if you're a part of any kind of therapy therapy community online, like, this is the classic joke. Yeah, there's a million memes of us, you know, uh, telling our clients what to do or, or, or our own lives are in flames, which happens, right? There's also a very, I think, myopic and unhelpful perspective that the therapist always has to be the most the healthiest person. Oh, yeah. You know, and I I understand the perspective that that comes from. You really do need to be working on your own problems and being able to practice some of this to, to really effectively translate it to clients. That said, you know, we all got our shit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I would want a therapist who didn't have experience with their own mental health struggles. I don't know. Yeah. It would be weird to have a therapist who I was like, they've never, uh, felt a you know chronic negative emotion (laughs) like sure yeah and and so many things go into that you know we people are all different and individual we all have our own lives and experiences yeah um we do you know like history we rhyme there are common patterns which is why we you know know how to work with these things mm-hmm. but um like you know we we need to be considering someone's history we need to be considering someone's trauma we need to be considering not just maybe the thing that we're looking at right now i use a metaphor sometimes in therapy with my clients that therapy is like pickup sticks Mm. like uh and like you know my gen z clients look at me like i'm fucking insane because they don't know what that is but i think millennials and older remember the little colored sticks Mm -hmm. you throw on the ground or maybe even the the like windows game from windows 95 of it but whatever um in pickup sticks you throw the sticks on the ground and you need to pick up like the right one first right you need to pick up one ones that are not being held down being complicated by other sticks mm-hmm. and i i like this for therapy because sometimes the thing that we most want to change that we're most ready to make change on it's going to be tangled up in other issues mm-hmm. so we can 
we can get closer to that thing that we're after, maybe, if we do healing in other places. And, yeah. and this is why, like, uh, a part of it for me is, like, you know, if I got a client with really intense and obvious OCD, I would obviously recommend them for ERP, right? Mm-hmm. But for many clients, for most clients, I don't use a strict modality because it's, like, I need to get to know this person. I need to know who they are, know what their problems are and their patterns are so that I can understand like, oh, is the reason why they're not able to control their panic attacks better because, I don't know, they they need to process some trauma or they need to um, stop drinking so much, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Right. And then if the answer is, for instance, they need to stop drinking so much or they need to stop seeking so much reassurance, maybe like then the question is, if we're going to take away that coping skill, what are we going to replace it with? Yeah. You know, because you can't leave them empty handed. Completely hanging. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, long and circuitous. Uh, way of saying um, answering the question that I don't even remember now. It was just um, oh, it was about it was about if you if you use your own like sure. advice. And, I and guess. the short answer is yes. Yeah, I, I, I have I've learned many things mm-hmm. through through the course of of you know studying this profession and, and working in it. And there, it has improved many aspects of my life. And we all have shit. We all have triggers. Yeah. You know, I, I have my own trauma that, that makes certain things uh, really difficult for me. And right. I think that that, you know, sometimes that's the way it is. Right. right. You know, and, and, and accepting that, that this is a process for people. This is often a lifelong process of, of looking inward and, and deciding how and where we want to work on growth or healing. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so this is a question that you can take a second to think about if you need to. But I like to ask two ending questions when I do interviews. Um, and... The first one is, what is the best or worst thing a um, medical or mental health professional has ever said to you? And this can be like advice, small talk, jokes, whatever. Best or worst? Best or worst. Um, let's see. I think maybe the most valuable piece of advice I've gotten for my own problems personally um, uh, with uh, a psychiatrist that I was seeing. Um, uh, talking about an issue that I I had trouble getting support for, right? I had trouble um, accessing the emotions kind of appropriately, right? Mm-hmm. When I wanted to, when I wanted to bring it up, for instance, with my partner or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, if you can't access those emotions, right? If you're shutting yourself down on some level to protect yourself, you're putting on that armor, you just start talking about it right start describing it and eventually you know you're you're gonna dig through that and and you're going to to be able to reaccess those things even if you're starting from this place of of disconnection or disassociation you know um and that's that's been helpful for me personally uh you know one of my problems is that i do tend to um 
cut myself off from my feelings around other people. So that that was helpful advice. Um, I like that a lot. That's sure. Yeah, I like that a lot, and I feel like I've seen that like work, um, like with myself and with you know with other people as well like you find somebody not really knowing how to say what they want to say and so they just start talking and they get somewhere sure yeah. somewhere helpful and, and like i've seen it a million times in session with clients too someone will start talking and they'll start talking from this obvious place of like you know uh uh downturned like flat affect kind of like just trying to to push through and then they'll end up in a place where they're really genuinely experiencing their emotions so i like that yeah Um, and uh let's see worst it doesn't have to be both you don't have to do it it's up to you no it's okay um i am gonna struggle with worst uh except that i want to just sympathize with anyone out there who is like looking for a therapist and has trouble finding one that they vibe with i I understand that can be difficult because i've been in therapy myself for many years and and most of the therapists i've seen i i did not vibe with and uh probably the the worst the funniest is this you know, this woman right out of grad school, this kind of kid, as I see her, right? She's probably, what, 22, 23, right. you know, and uh, definitely working at an agency that just probably totally is burning her out and sitting through a kind of opening session with her and uh, she's clearly checking her phone. <laughs> she's not like like using body language or tone of voice to express interest in any way so yeah i i didn't go back to that one uh i want to just say i understand it can be difficult to find a good therapist a good therapist or a therapist that you connect with because there's two levels there so but just keep trying yeah just just reach out to more there are more out there and even you know even a totally competent therapist might just not be right for for a particular client right you know so don't give up looking for help just look for help elsewhere yeah yeah i know i talked i've talked about this on the podcast too where like i've had a lot of therapists that were like fine not actively harmful (laughs) and like sometimes that's as good as it is it's gonna get because sometimes I feel like I don't have the capacity to keep looking but um yeah my whole thing is that as long as they're not like actively causing harm I guess but like you also gotta know where to put your time and money I don't know yeah absolutely Um, and it can be frustrating yeah I did I had my that one therapist that I had that I know I told you about that I did not like he for exposure therapy he like told me to just like go to a I was getting freaked out because I had this like guy who had been following me in a parking lot several times and his exposure therapy recommendations was for me to just go to the parking lot more like out of nowhere like and there was no lead up there was no nothing there was nothing there was just like oh you need to start going to that parking lot more and I'm like okay I really hope I don't get taken buddy yeah let's let's tell this woman to to (laughs) actively like go hang out in the place where her stalker shows up and and, like like see if he comes and nothing leading up to it it was wild anyway um okay Thank you for sharing yeah, those things. Yeah, thank you, Mary. Thank you for, for letting me talk at you for however long this has been. And 
putting up with my like cold voice and stuff no it's been great i really i'm so glad you're here and i hope that you come back i would yeah. love to talk to you again totally Let's with do an it. audience cool <laughs> all right thank you mary thank you. you so much love you bye, bye. you all enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. One thing that I really appreciated about talking with Peter was the way he was able to open up a little bit about his own relationship and struggles with health anxiety because it's just good to normalize it. It's, I think it's helpful. It's helpful to me. Um, it's one of those things that I think a lot more people are dealing with it on a regular basis than we realize, even if it's not a lot of people's like number one demon, and I think it is, but even if it's not, it's still a thing. It's still there. Um, and we don't like to talk about it because it is uncomfortable, like obviously, but things like that do tend to thrive and get bigger in the darkness so yeah I just wanted to take the time to thank Peter once again for being vulnerable and also sharing some great insight I think we can all even if you don't have OCD everybody I think can benefit from hearing a perspective on how to handle your anxiety um so yeah don't forget don't talk to the police that was the key takeaway i think (laughs) all right i hope you're having a great week and i will be back next week as usual talk to you soon goodbye